0: Welcome to the Arab Digest podcast. I'm William Law, editor of the Digest, and my guest today is Francis Gilles. He's a specialist on security, energy, and political trends in North Africa and the Western Mediterranean, and an associate senior researcher at the Barcelona Center for International Affairs. From 1981 to 1995, he was a North Africa correspondent for the Financial Times and has written for numerous publications, including the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Le Monde al and I'm pleased to say he's a regular contributor to the Arab Digest newsletter and podcasts. Today our focus is on Algeria. Will the energy price rise caused by Putin's war in Ukraine allow Algeria to return to a position of power and prominence? That's the question we'll be asking today. Francis, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Can you take us back to a meeting at the end of August in Algiers? That involved the French and Algerian presidents and very high level military and security officials from both countries. How significant was that meeting?
1: Well, that meeting was interesting last August because for the first time the French and the Algerians engaged in a strategic discussion about the northwest of Africa until um, in recent years and The French had tended to go to Algiers and sort of try and impose their point of view, particularly about Mali and Libya and all that. They were also, they had supported the Moroccan position on the Western Sahara. So the Algerians felt, rightly or wrongly, they were at the receiving end of some kind of neo colonial relationship. In August, because of many things that have changed in the last uh, uh, year, Notably the increase in gas prices, the French exit from Mali, not very good relations between France and Morocco for the first time in many years. The Algerians felt that there was a real dialogue going on. It's only the beginning, but it is a change of mood, and it is important.
0: And is it the sense that for once the French are treating the Algerians as equal?
1: Yes, I wouldn't say quite as equals, but I mean the mood in North Africa in general, not just in Algeria, is that many people, notably uh, employers, notably people who run industries, are fed up of being considered as they see it as a market and not as a partner. They also deeply resent the fact that France suddenly curtails visas, notably for Algerians and Moroccans. At the beginning of the year, they cut them by 50% for whatever reason. And so they argue, how can you have a partnership if you don't have more uh, stable visa systems, better, easier, easier circulation between the two shores? And also, they just want to be able to be partners, because some companies in North Africa... Uh, are very good, and they would like to be partners with Europe in general. And Europe has overestimated its normative powers. In other words, you know, imposing its own rules of doing business and legal rules and financial rules while not giving much in exchange as North Africa sees it.
0: President Macron is clearly concerned, as are others, about Russia in the Sahel. The Wagner group, for example, moving into Mali as France moved out. How concerned are the Algerians about Russian and other outside influences? It is, after all, their neighborhood.
1: Well, it is their neighborhood, but first on the French. You know, the French are concerned about the uh, Russians moving into Mali. Uh, But then the French are playing the same game with the Russians in support of Haftar, so there are contradictions all around. I think for the Algerians it's been an article of doctrine, military doctrine, since 1962. Indeed, their non-alignment, if you will, which didn't seem very fashionable until recently, that they don't want outsiders involved in major security or political problems in the region. In other words, they don't want the United States, they don't want France, but they don't want Russia, they don't want the United Arab Emirates. And uh, the Algerians, for instance, have never conceded a base to a foreign power in Algeria. The Russians have been trying to get rights to uh, have their ships visit Mers el kebir the great uh, port uh, west of Oran, the former French military base. That's always been denied. So the Algerians have been consistent in their refusal or their wish not to see any outsiders meddle in the affairs of the region. This has been a constant point. Where we are now, what has changed in the Algerian doctrine, at least officially, is that the new constitution, voted endorsed by popular vote three years ago, allows officially the Algerian army to intervene abroad. This was not in the old constitution. It didn't stop the Algerians from intervening in Libya when they felt they had to protect their frontiers after the attack on their gas base in 2013. But now, not only does the constitution endorse this right or possibility, but in the new military budget, which is up 120%, in other words, $23 billion for next year, $5 billion have been put aside for eventual interventions abroad. So this is where the shift is occurring. It doesn't mean, to say, the Algerians are going to intervene, but it gives them the absolute latitude to do so if the chief of staff feels um, it is in the interests of Algeria.
0: Well, hmm, that's interesting. Um, is there a situation where the Algerians would intervene in a place like Mali to deal with the jihadist insurgency there? Should they feel threatened by it, or is that a stretch too far?
1: First, the Algerians would not see it as a jihadist insurgency. They fully recognize that uh, there are jihadist groups in Mali, whoever backs them in the Middle East, uh, but they appreciate, as indeed do seasoned French observers, that the conflict in Mali, as indeed in Niger and elsewhere, is a, is a much more complicated issue, of, um, which involves tribal rights, which in, in involves settled agriculture versus um, herding, which involves climate change. It's all, you know, and then the north of Mali is Tuareg, uh, Berber and Muslim. The south is more Christian and black, so all these conflicts are very complex. And the way the French and the Americans have tried to reduce it to a jihadist insurgency does not correspond to facts. It's much more complicated than that. So whether the Algerians have the knowledge, they certainly have a good knowledge of the area, the tribes around their frontiers, be it in Libya, be it in Niger, be it in Mauritania, be it in Mali, uh, be it indeed in Tunisia. Uh, So whether they will be able to move the agenda forward and calm things down is an open question. But there we are. They are trying. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, the current energy crisis has boosted Algeria's coffers significantly. What impact is that having on the overall economy of the country?
1: Well, basically, it allows the military to refuse any economic reforms. It's always the same story. The only time Algeria thinks of reforms or engages in reforms, the only time it engaged in reform was in 1989, 1992. Um, it's because the price of energy is low. When the price of energy, particularly gas, is high, then uh, that allows the country's rulers, which are in fact the military, to say no reforms so um, Algerian uh, hard currency reserves will probably be about $90 billion or a bit more by the end of the year. They have no foreign debt, and uh, therefore there are no reforms, and this is indeed the great weakness of the Algerian position, is that it's got a strong military. By all accounts, uh, the chief of staff, General Liha. Is modernising the army well. I think this is, seems to be recognised as far as one can make out by uh, Western officers or NATO people who engage with Algeria. But it's all very well to have a good army. They've, um, they've built... Uh, well, they first set up new military regions in the south. In other words, uh, um, they've paid much more attention to their southern and eastern frontiers. They've built airports, they've built base camps... Uh, the Algerians control their southern and eastern frontiers, and not not forgetting it's the biggest country in Africa, better than they have at any time since independence. But even having a good army with well-educated officers, that does not detract from the fact that uh, the army will not share power with civil society or with entrepreneurs. It will not uh, give the freedom to, um, you know, economic freedom. In other words, it will not endorse the economic banking regulatory reforms that could make Algeria a much more vibrant economy.
0: So the um, private sector remains, what, throttled by the control of the military over the economy?
1: Oh, yes. I mean, the banking system in Algeria is Jurassic Park. I mean, that's the best way. I, I called it Jurassic Park 25 years ago, and there's no reason to change. The rules and regulations, the delays in in uh, implementing, uh, you know, in, in private companies getting through agreements they've signed, uh, the fact that the president, Abdelmajid Tebboune, is very good at uh, threatening His um, dismissing his officials when they make mistakes, threatening them. There's always been this threat, uh, this fight against corruption, which in fact has been used politically. So the result is that morale is very low in the upper echelons of the civil service. So people do not... uh, There's a climate of fear in the public sector, which actually makes the, the functioning of the public sector very difficult. And when it comes to the private sector, well... There's plenty of talent exiting Algeria to Europe and to the Gulf all the time. So this will not change for the foreseeable future. It never has. And uh, that is the great weakness of Algeria, is that it has a foreign policy which is much more active, led by a foreign minister, Ramtan Lamamra, who is a very clever man, a brilliant man, led by a chief of staff who, by all accounts, is a very good military man whose want is to modernize the army. But that's one leg of a country. The second leg, the economy, just isn't functioning very well.
0: Now, we have spoken in previous podcasts, and you've written for us, about the structure of governance in Algeria. And uh, President Tebboune, how much he's a part of the old structure, le pouvoir, this uh, structure remains in place despite uh, the hirak, the popular street protests. Is it uh, invincible, Francis?
1: Well, I mean, I don't think Tebboune matters all that much. The man who matters is the chief of staff, General Shingriha. Uh, Tebun is there pour la figuration, you know, for the public image. So that... That will not change. But the problem is the level of incompetence of the ministers. For instance, when they had their, um, you know, the shouting match with Spain following Spain's uh, change of tack on, on the Western Sahara diplomatically, the Algerian Minister of, uh, um, of Finance sent orders to the banks in Algeria to freeze trade payments with Spain, effectively imposing a trade embargo though Algerian officials clarified that gas flows would be unaffected. Spain promptly appealed to the European Union authorities who complained to Algiers. And a few days later, the, um, the Minister of uh, Finance, uh, Abdirahman uh, Rawaya, was sacked. So this is incompetence on a scale. And you can find other. The Minister of Transport was sacked in March because the section, the, the sector, Air Algeria and all this, is totally dysfunctional. So it's the incompetence, the sheer incompetence of the Algerian government, which is a problem. And this is showing no signs of change. So, OK, you can earn plenty of money, you can conduct your gas diplomacy, you can have much better relations with Italy, which is buying more gas. All that is true. So Algeria's re-emergence on the international stage... I would say, is very tentative indeed.
0: Now, in Europe, there is currently a glut of LNG with tankers parked offshore and no more storage capacity, and so prices are tumbling. Is the window of
1: opportunity closing for Algeria? I don't think it affects Algeria too much because the contracts which have been renegotiated this year, or the new contracts with Italy, France, Spain particularly, Um, You know, once you sign a contract, it's two, three, four years, whatever it is, and you lock in the price. Uh, So I don't think that makes much difference. And one must understand why there is a glut of um, gas in Europe at the moment. One, the storage capacity of Europe is now filled to about 95%, which has never been the case before. Secondly, the weather is very mild, and therefore we don't need the gas. Uh, It's 19 degrees in Paris today, so we don't need the gas. Thirdly, it pays for a company which has got an LNG ship full of gas sitting in front of a port in Britain, in Spain, in France. It probably pays it just to sit there for a month or two and wait, because if there's a sudden cold snap, then the gas will be used, sent to the port, the other point to remember is that the number of LNG, of liquefied natural gas terminals in Europe, in other words, terminals where you can regasify liquefied gas from the ships, is not all that great. Therefore, there is a problem of infrastructure. So for all these reasons, there are indeed a number of, of LNG ships sitting in front of ports in Europe. But this could change within a matter of weeks. You mean the temperature... Uh, drops Well, if the temperature drops, and also you remember, if you've got a ship sitting in front of Montoir de Bretagne or um, or Wales or the, some of the Spanish LNG terminals, you're not going to take that ship and send it to Asia. You see, it doesn't make sense. So in, that, in other words, this is the market, you know, and it's not the vagaries of the market. It's just the way things function, you know, so it's a technical problem.
0: Now, in, in recent contracts that Algeria has signed, it has been able to negotiate away from using the dollar if it or the other side so chooses. How significant do you see that?
1: Well, that is important because it means that, uh, well, it just shows how much Algeria uh, fears that the, Ameri- the way the Americans are using sanctions, and the Americans are very good at using sanctions dressed up legally against countries with whom they're having some kind of dispute or argument or war, indeed. So the Algerians are very wary, although they are, their relations with the United States are good, they're very wary of anything of this kind being used against them at, at, in a future stage. So the new contracts with Italy and France, and I suspect Spain, have a clause which allows the seller or the buyer to change the currency in which they're denominated every three months. In other words, today they're denominated in dollars. Maybe they can be denominated in rubles or in yuan. And never forget, Algeria buys 70% of its weapons in Russia. It also buys Chinese drones. So uh, that gives Algeria greater autonomy or freedom to conduct its foreign policy And furthermore, one of the key reasons why Algeria has no foreign debt, which in financial and economic terms is slightly absurd, is because they do not want to get caught up in any question of sanctions. And they have good reason to be wary, because in 1981, Algerian diplomats played a key role in the release of the US hostages held in Tehran by the the new revolutionary regime. And the way the Americans applied sanctions or froze the assets of Iran at that point, when Iran had not defaulted on its debt, was a very good reminder. It acts as a reminder to the Algerians. And senior diplomats and the government of the Central Bank of Algeria at the time, whom I remember very well, made clear to me in private that that taught them a lesson about America they would never, never forget. So in the current fraught situation with this war in Ukraine, with tensions between America and China, the Algerians basically are taking no chances. They don't want to compromise their position as a non-aligned, if you will. Well, that's
0: interesting, isn't it? Because Non-alignment was considered to be really something passé, and uh, now you're suggesting it's returning uh, somewhat to the fore.
1: Well, indeed it is, and uh, going back to your one of your previous po- recent podcasts, um, one of your the person you were interviewing, I can't remember who it was, explained how Saudi Arabia, the Emirates, uh, Qatar, maybe were all, you know, they were discussing with Moscow, discussing with China, because could they rely entirely on America? Why should they always do as America wishes? That's um, that's Andreas Krieg you're talking about. And we've seen in the current uh, argument between cutting uh, OPEC output or not between Saudi Arabia and America, America can't have its way as it used to have. So, whether you call that non-alignment or you call it whatever you want to call it, funnily enough, the the Algerian position of the last twenty years, which looked somewhat eccentric, now seems to be much more mainstream. Although the the countries which practice this kind of non-alignment or just keeping you know trying to be on an even keel with different countries, uh, they don't start from the same premise, but nonetheless. This is what countries are like. India, you know, plays the the book according to its own interests and not to not, is not constrained by the fact that it's in one camp or another. So to that extent, the way the Algerians behave seems to be much more in keeping with the times.
0: Mm. Now, there is a, an Arab summit. Uh, Algiers is the host of the summit that's coming up next week. These summits are often seen as something of a non-event, a bit of a snooze-fest. Any reason to think this one will be different?
1: Uh, It's impossible to say. The Algerians have been trying to reconcile the Palestinian factions for whatever that is worth. The Syrians have indicated they would not come, which means that other Arab countries can come. uh, Interestingly enough, the Israelis have asked to attend unofficially, but I don't think that has been accepted. And then the interesting point will be uh, whether the king of Morocco, who I think will go with his son, goes or not. Uh, There again, whether that signals a thaw in relations between Algeria and Morocco, as the Americans are openly encouraging uh, the Algerians to do, I do not know. So, you know, it's a bit of a dog's meal, if I dare use that expression, and we will see at the end. But what is certain is that for the Algerians, the fact that a number of uh, foreign ministers and heads of state are there will be important. The presence of the King of Morocco will be important because that closed frontier between Algeria and Morocco, that arms race between Algeria and Morocco, the growing presence of the Israelis in Morocco, which irks the French enormously uh, because the French uh, used to consider Morocco as one of their markets for weapons and the French are not the only ones concerned about the growing Israeli presence in Morocco. How all this will pan out and what decisions will be taken I suppose that the best you could say, like Churchill said, George Or is better than War War. So if the summit manages to relax relations to some extent between uh, Rabat and Algiers, well, that will be all for the good of the region, not just Algeria.
0: Algeria is potentially in a place to rather reclaim its status. Uh, It was... A power to be reckoned with, and uh, you have spoken about the the dark years, the black years uh, of the uh, the Bouteflika regime. Those thirty years is is Algeria emerging and is it in a place to capitalize on the current
1: situation, vis-a-vis uh, the energy price hike? It is reemerging. There is no doubt, but. If it wants to capitalize in the long term, over the long term, on its position, on its uh, energy wealth, on the fact that it's got some very educated people, Algeria, um, it the the military will have to change their tack on their attitude to sharing power. Uh, the Hirak movement three years ago was interesting because one, it lasted for months. Secondly, it threw millions of people in the street of all generations. Third, it was non-violent. And in an Arab country, not just Algeria, which has a history of violence over centuries, but in other Arab countries, this was an entirely peaceful movement, which said, we want to have a stake, we want to have a say in the future of the country. It wasn't just the private business, it was everybody so the military, at the end, managed to repress it and COVID helped. They were smart in the way they repressed it, but the repression has been very harsh. There is no longer an Algerian media or press. They are completely silenced. So as long as the military do not want, refuse to share power, there is no way you can build a more vibrant, society, a society which produces goods outside the oil and gas business. You will not be able to cut subsidies on oil and gas. The price of electricity in Algeria is not even the cost of producing it. This is totally ridiculous. It's the lowest electricity price in the world. If the military persist in not trusting their people, then... The, the, the re-emergence of Algeria will remain what it is, a tentative re-emergence, but Algeria will certainly not be able to play a role commensurate with its place on the map, with its uh, level of education, which is on average good, with the fact that it has a lot of young people uh, who um, who want to set up companies. They all come to France. So as long as the military... say, we do not share power, then they are stunting the future of their country. It's as simple as that. And as I say, the senior civil service is in a huge mess because of everything that happened over the Bouteflika years, the constant campaigns against corruption, which are politically motivated. The oil and gas sector has been very much damaged under the Book de Tiflicka years. So they can produce more gas, and the Algerians are producing more gas. The Italians, for instance, Eni is flying in teams to Algeria on the fast track, uh, in a kind of fast track system. And so they will produce more gas. They will send relatively more gas to Europe. But that's not the be-all and end-all of Algeria. If Algeria the Algerian leadership does not understand that you cannot treat a young, educated country in the way it is, then uh, nothing much will happen over the medium or longer term. Algeria will re-emerge, it'll be there, but it won't be able to play the positive role, it won't be able to project soft power, it will not be able to Uh, be an example to other countries, however influential it may be in the region, however much it backs Tunisia, and it's backing Tunisia financially, security-wise, its role will be limited by this refusal of the military to share power.
0: Now, now you've mentioned the uh, foreign minister and the head of the army. Are they the people who could carry forward Algeria—do they have this sort of vision that you're talking about, or are they just part of the old system?
1: I'm sure they're part of the old system. <laughs> That's obvious. But uh, the, the the chief of staff seems to have a vision for the army, for modernizing the army, and a vision of the security of Algeria, the regional security issues. That, from everything one when one listens to him or the echoes one gets, is that he has a vision of that. The foreign minister, who is a man I've known for more than 30 years, certainly has a vision of what Algeria is diplomatically. But that does not answer the question of the economy. And the last time serious economic reforms in Algeria were um, discussed, analyzed and launched was in 1989 under the government of Mouloud Hamouche, under President Chedli. And one must not forget that Algeria, when it played an important role in Tehran, in the conclusion of the first, putting an end to the first Lebanese civil war, at the Treaty of Taif, when it, uh, President Chadli um, flew to Iraq to try and convince Saddam Hussein to move out of Kuwait. In those days, the economy was, I mean, it needed reforming, but we are that's 30 years ago. The country is much more educated. The country is the infrastructure is much better. Uh, You cannot behave. I mean, in those days, there there was more, in a way, in a funny way, there was a more recognition of civil society. President Chadli, with whom I had a number of conversations, was fully cognizant of the need to reform economically. He himself, in private, said the changes my advisors are telling me I should make, our revolutionary. Uh, he measured the huge challenge. Today, the leaders of Algeria, the military leaders, don't seem to recognise, do they even understand, the measure of the economic challenge the country faces in a world which has changed so much in the last 10, 20 years. It's not the world of 1990, it's the world of 2022. So, this... Capacity, this incapacity to understand, to consult, to speak to the many Algerians in the diaspora today uh, compared to 30 years ago. There are thousands of Algerians who are running companies, who are savvy technicians, who are scientists from America, Canada, Europe, not just France. The Gulf. The Gulf is full of, of clever Algerian entrepreneurs so as long as the military do not understand or do not accept that these people need to be brought on board, they need to be talked to, they need to be asked, produce an economic blueprint, produce a financial blueprint, as long as they refuse to engage with these people, the, uh, Algeria's role will be important but somewhat dull and limited.
0: Mm. Yes, the uh, the giant may slumber on. Uh, Francis, thank you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Arab Digest podcast. My guest today was Francis Gilles, an associate senior researcher at the Barcelona Center for International Affairs. We welcome your comments. It's been two years since we launched, and in that time, the podcasts have been listened to more than 100,000 times in countries right around the world. So, a big thanks to all our listeners. And if you're a first-timer, check out our podcast library on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Amazon Music. In addition to our podcast, the Arab Digest daily newsletter features the very best of mean analysts. Analysts like Francis. If you'd like a free trial to the newsletter, simply go to ArabDigest.org. And if you enjoy what you find and want to join the club after your trial period has ended... We're offering special rates to students, academics, and retirees. And subscriptions are now available to university libraries. If you are a student or academic, check if your university library has an Arab Digest subscription. If so, you can access the Digest for free. And if not, ask for your library to consider getting one. Check it out on ArabDigest.org. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. I'm William Law, editor of the Arab Digest. Essential reading from independent sources.